Why don't you give that praise right on up to the Lord Jesus Christ and show our appreciation for his presence in this place. Thank you, Lord. Now, here's what I'd like you to do before you're seated. I would like you to find 16 guys, slap a high five with them and tell them, thank God you're a man. Thank God you're a man. Thank God you're a man. All right. Thank God you're a man. Thank God you're a man. That's it. Come on up here, man. Thank God you're a 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 man. All right. I said 16 guys. Some of you guys have greeted the 12 tribes of Israel, every people, every nation, every tongue. Praise the Lord. That's a great time of fellowship. Amen. Good. It's good and pleasant when brethren dwell together in unity. And it's like a precious uh, ointment that's poured out upon the head, down the beard, and down to the skirts of the garment. Once again, it's good to be uh, in New England, and it's good to be with all the men of God that are here. And it's always great to have multiple churches worshiping in uh, one location. I figure if we're going to spend an eternity together, we might as well have an appetizer down here. And so uh, it's great. And I know that we belong to different reformations and communions and churches and denominations. But um, one of the things that we've learned, uh, Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole taught us in the Christian Men's Network, Titles are only good for the earth. He said, if you go to hell, they'll burn off. If you go to heaven, they'll blow off. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> so, so they're only good for the earth. And for that, we give the Lord thanksgiving. Once again, I want to thank uh, Pastor John and uh, the Faith Christian Center for hosting us during these uh, series of meetings this week. And we trust that we'll see many of you there. Of course, we know everyone have their own worship experiences on tomorrow uh, morning, on Sunday, and then uh, during the course of the week, if you can attend the gatherings of Faith Christian Center will be there ministering. And uh, we just expect the Lord to show up in just a mighty way. So we thank uh, the banquet facility here. Did you enjoy your breakfast this morning? Good. I saw a few brothers coming in a little later and I said the first wave ate like the first, second wave wasn't coming, you know. <laughs> and that's great. That's a great way to wake up in Jesus name. Well, let's take our Bible, those of you who have it, or your digital instrument, wherever you may be pulling your scriptures from this morning. Hold your Bible up and say this after me. This is my Bible. This is my Bible. Though there are many in the world, many in the world. This, one is mine. this one is mine. I can be, I can be 
what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Because I am a diligent seeker of God. My life will be better. Because I have heard the word of faith. Do you believe that? I believe that. Let's make our lives better by hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's start in uh, Genesis chapter 2. And let's find verse number uh, 18. Genesis 2, 18. We'll begin our time together here. Relationships form the networks of life. And um, I believe that everything that you need in the earth can be found through a relationship. You and I don't go to heaven because of what we know. We go to heaven because of who we know. Relationships are important from the beginning all the way to the end. And even God, when he created man, he created us as men to be relational beings. God related to Adam in the garden in the early part of Genesis chapter one and chapter two. Adam then related to the resources in the earth. But in Genesis chapter two and verse number 18 We find that it says, and the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. A helpmeet for him, says King James Version. New King James says, uh, and the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper compatible or comparable to him, a helper comparable to him. And most of you know at this particular time, Adam has named all of the animals and God has given him a great mental capacity and verbal capacity, but there was no comparable uh, creature that was for him. And here the Lord says, help me. I will make him a helper comparable to him and easier someone to wrap around and to surround him. New Living Translation says of Genesis 2.18, then the Lord says, New Living Translation, it is not good uh, for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Just right for him. Now, what this lets us know is that, that, that relationships are important. And the first time in creation where God has now been saying historically, and he made this and he said it was good. And he said this and he said it was good. And he made this and he said it was good. And the evening and the morning were the first day and God said it was good. Uh, and then when God created the earth, he said it was good. But then for the first time in creation, we hear God saying there's something that's not good. It's not good for a man to be alone and relationships create our networks of life. And I want you to know that all relationships are spatial. Uh, They take up space and that space is always changing. And the life uh, is a relational journey and relationships take up a certain amount of space in our lives. When it comes to those of us who are married Uh, our wife is one of the closest relationships that 
we can have. In fact, your wife should be more than your best friend. Your wife should be your most intimate friend. Okay, I heard one yes and a couple of moans. (laughs) I'm going to say that again, okay? A wife may listen to this CD sometimes, so so, uh, uh, maybe you might want to beef up your amens a little bit, okay? Your wife should not be your best friend. She should be your most intimate friend. All right, good, good. That'll that'll help us out when they edit this, okay? (laughs) All right. And so, so our wife should be the one that really, that, that we open up our hearts to, that really knows who we are. And, and the woman should be that way because when God goes on to create this woman, he takes a side section from the man. He puts him to sleep. And, and the word says here, it says, so out of the ground in verse 19, the Lord, he formed, he formed the, uh, the beast of the field and the birds of the air. And uh, Adam, and he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them and whatever, whatever Adam called the living creatures, that was the name thereof. And Adam name gave name to all the cattle, all the birds, all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him, says the new King James. And the Lord caused a deep sleep. The fall on Adam and sleep is a type of death for a man to find his most intimate friend, his wife. He must first die because sleep is a metaphor for death in our kingdom. And uh, what, what must he die to? He must die out to all the other female relationships he has. Can't have a wife and a girlfriend on the side. It's a good place for another hearty. Amen. Can't have a wife and a, and a mistress on the side. Okay, can't can't have a wife and a concubine. Yeah, yeah, Solomon tried to do all of that. And at the end of his life in Ecclesiastes, he starts saying, vanity, vanity, all is vanity under the sun. Everything is empty and purposeless. And and so here, a man must have that deep sleep, which means he must die out and redefine all other relationships. Even when we get to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, it says there when and following that the man must leave his father and his mother and must cleave unto his wife. Even his parental relationships get redefined. There must be a deep sleep and the principle of deep sleep says that, that we must die out to the other relationship. It says, and he slept and he took one of his ribs and one of the ribs, the word rib is the word silah, means a side section. And uh, God now begins to open Adam up and he's going to pull some stuff out of Adam to create this woman. And, and so he opens him up and then he closes up the flesh thereof. And with the stuff that God opens up out of Adam, he, he leaves in the masculine, but he takes out the feminine. Uh, he leaves in the tough, but he takes out the tender. Okay. He leaves in the disciplinarian, but he takes out the nurturer. And what he does is from the stuff that God takes out of Adam, he now, he, he, he takes it out and he is now going to close up the flesh thereof because God can't bring this woman to this man if he's a wounded man. Because a hurting man will hurt his wife. Wounded men will wound their wife. So before God brings the woman to the man, he must heal him up. 
Because if he doesn't heal him, then this man will hurt his family, he'll hurt his wife, he'll hurt his kids, and then we'll just have another casualty in the society. So he closes up the flesh thereof, and then verse 22 it says, And then the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made a woman. And this word made, it's kind of an interesting word. It says that he built her. Aren't you glad that women are built? He put everything in the right place. And from the rib that he took, he he built up that man. Now, now Adam's still sleeping while he's building this woman because God, just think about if Adam would have been awake and God was building this woman. Adam would have tried to help God out, wouldn't he? He said, come on, God, put a little bit of hair there. Bow, put a little bit more up here. Boom, you know, put a little bit more down there. Bow. So God just let him stay out. Because God did not need Adam to be her creator. He needed to be her leader. And so he was going to lead this home, but he did not need him to recreate this woman in his image. And he made her into a woman, says Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 22. And he brought her to the man. When Adam sees her, he said, this is now bone of my bone. He says, she can handle my hard parts. And she is now flesh of my flesh. She can handle my soft parts. And every man has a hard side and he has a soft side. I read a book last year called 10 Lies Men Believe. And one of the lies that men believe is that a man should never cry. That's his soft side. It's one of the lies men believe. And many times that's why men, women outlive men because men don't have the emotional release that they're that that is necessary. Sometime in life when we were a child or a young boy or a teenager, somebody told us grown men don't cry. But I'll tell you what, if you've ever been war, if you've ever had loss, if you've ever had had an attachment to somebody, men do shed tears. And there's nothing ungodly or not masculine about a man that knows how and is not afraid to cry every time. She is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She can handle my hard parts. She can handle my soft parts. And he called her a woman because she was taken out of the man. Adam was first created. He was created man whole. But now this woman is part Adam and part earth. God builds some things inside of her that she becomes a helper comparable to him, a helper that is suitable and adaptable and appropriate for this man. And we're talking about relationships this morning and your wife should be our most intimate relationship. And then he brings her to the man and some of the stuff that's in her was taken out of him. Now it's kind of important for you to understand men have to figure out what's going on inside the woman. But women always know what's going on inside the man. And sometimes we say, well, how does she know that? She'll say, well, how was your day? And you'll say, fine. And she'll say, well, you don't sound like it was fine. And you'll say, well, I said it was fine. And she'll say, well, what happened today? Nothing happened. And she'll say, well, it sounds like something happened. And you're always trying to figure out, well, how she knows something happened? The reason she knows what's going on inside of you is that part of her originated inside of you. Adam says she shall be called bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of, says the Bible. 
the man. She was taken out of the man. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and mother. Principle of leaving. And that is redefining those relationships and shall be joined. King James says in Matthew 19, shall cleave unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. Now, listen, if you don't leave, you can't cleave. And if you don't cleave, you can't weave. I'm going to say that one more time. Okay, if you don't leave, you can't cleave. And if you don't cleave, you can't weave. And so it's tough to establish home relationship when you're in somebody else's house. And so we must leave mentally, emotionally geographically and financially father and mother cleave unto our wife and they too shall be one flesh. They were both naked, the man and the woman and were not ashamed. There were no hidden places inside of them. And why I called the wife in terms of relationships, your most intimate friend is because there should be no hidden places there. There should be no hidden places between a man and his God Naked and unashamed, then Hebrews chapter 12 says that the word of God, swift and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divining asunder of soul and spirit and joint and marrow, 412 goes on to say, and it is the divider of the thought and the intent of the heart, and everything is laid naked and bare before him for which we have to do. The word of God lays naked and bare us before God, and I believe that when we're with our spouses that there should be no Hidden places, our wife should be our most, not just our best friend, but our most intimate friend. And one of the disciplines of a godly man, a discipline of a godly man should be his friendships. His wife should be his most intimate friend. But one of the things that helps us to leave no man behind, leave no man behind is a man that has true friendships. Now, listen, I think that loyalty is one of the greatest qualities of friendship. Loyalty and loyalty is faithfulness or being consistently dependable to a task. That's faithfulness is being consistently dependable to a task. But loyalty is being consistently dependable to a person. Loyalty. One of the things that our world lacks in male to male friendship. Your wife is your most intimate friend. But now we move the friendships among men is a is a is a quality of loyalty. Can you be consistently dependable with another brother? Consistently dependable means can I be reliable to a person or to a people? And loyalty is one of those things that's a missing ingredient today. Because we have a lot of throwaway relationships. You know, even if you have accept somebody as your friend on your Facebook, you can defriend them. But one of the qualities of friendship is called loyalty. Loyalty is faithfulness to a person or to a people is being consistently dependable with that person friendship. And I want you to know as men that God designed life for us as men to be a shared journey with not only our spouse, but with other people, a shared journey. A shared journey where we experience community with one another and friendship with one another. Look at me in Proverbs because Proverbs says quite a few statements about 
friendship. Look at me in Proverbs chapter 17 and verse number 17. Proverbs is wisdom literature. And in Proverbs, you hear a young man receiving wisdom from his father. Proverbs 17, 17. And uh, it talks some about friendships. And I like to talk about this discipline of friendship. And in Proverbs uh, 17, 17, watch this. It said, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. New Living Translation says a friend is always loyal, always loyal, 1717. And a brother is born to help in a time of need. I believe that loyalty is one of those great, great qualities that we need because at some point in time in life, all of us are going to have a need in our life. I found out that there's two ways that you can find out whether someone's a real friend. When you need to move, and when you need a ride to an early flight to the airport. <laughs> okay, just, just kind of go down through your database when you need to move and when you need an early ride to the airport. Hey, bro, got a six o'clock flight. Got to be there 90 minutes early. Can you pick me up and take me? Those two qualities can show, are you going to be there with me? Okay, I ain't hearing nothing here. Okay. <laughs> Those are just two test questions. <laughs> Those are good ones. Okay. <laughs> All right. And so, so friends are born for adversity. Now, now, now listen, Proverbs 17, 17 then lets us know that, that at adversity, adverse times are going to come and adverse times come. Uh, however, we should never have to face them alone because adversity is always faced better when we have a friend that will come with us into the adversity. Adverse times are times of great stress, times of great anguish, and times of trouble. And adverse times will hit our man's life. We are not ad, uh, 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 we are not exempt from adverse times. But they will happen, but we don't have to face adverse times alone. All of life offers some kind of stress to us. There is some anguish that comes in, in life where sometimes we're coupled together with anger, anger and frustration. Frustration is an emotion that we experience when our purpose is being hindered or delayed or detoured. And sometimes we get angry because we can see who's putting up the roadblocks, who's putting up the barrier. And friend, we experience this emotion called anguish. Trouble sometimes hits our life where things just don't go the way that we plan. And yet we don't have to face those kinds of times alone. A brother is born for adversity. Brothers will come alongside of us and will not let us go through that kind of pain alone. And that's why many times men will join something like the Masons or they'll join the Mooses or the Elks or a fraternity because those guys learn how to stick and stay. And I believe, man, if they can get it out there, why can't they get it in here? In the kingdom of God. And so sometimes men have to get it in substitute kingdoms and other places because we have lost sometimes the quality called loyalty in friendship with our brothers inside. Sometimes they say, well, I thought that was a Christian brother, but now he's gone to drinking. I thought that was a Christian brother. Now he's gone back to using drugs. I thought that was a Christian brother. And now he's gone back, uh, you know, to, to committing adultery. I thought that was a Christian brother. Now he's addicted to, uh, to, uh, to pornography. Look at the man next to you and saying, what's your problem? Yeah. 
Listen, listen to me now. You and I can't throw everybody off the bus because they got a problem. I said, look at the man next to you and say, what's your problem? Listen, every one of us that comes to church, we don't come to church because we're perfect. The very fact that we're in the kingdom means that we have to admit that we are imperfect. God knows that he's dealing with flawed material. Any of us can malfunction at any time. And some of us malfunction more often than others. Some of us need a recall. (laughs) But all of us are, if I was back in Columbus, Ohio, I'd say all of us are jacked up. I'd I'd have you look at the man next to you and say, you jacked man, but I won't have you do that this morning, okay? All of us are messed up, man. And that's why we come to that. We don't come to the house of the Lord because we're perfect. We come to the house of the Lord because we're flawed and we know we need help. We need to be fixed. And God chooses to bring us into our kingdom. And he knows that the possibility of us malfunctioning even here is great. But the thing that happens when we malfunction, we need a friend to tell us, man, you're off. Because friends will tell you the truth. And all of us need somebody in our life. Who will tell us the truth? Even if you're a leader, you need somebody that's not afraid to speak truth to power and to tell you that you are off. And it says here that a brother is born for adversity. First Samuel chapter 14, first Samuel 14, six. Little story of a man named Jonathan. This was Saul's son. And Jonathan comes up on a uh, situation that is that is uh, that is pretty desperate during the time of uh Israel's history and John and first uh, Samuel 14, six, uh, the, 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 uh, the, uh, context around this text is that, uh, the Philistines have now moved in and surrounded, uh, Israel, um, Philistines are out there just ranting and raving against Israel and their God and the armies of God. And, um, Jonathan Saul's son in 14, six of first Samuel, It says, then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. And it may be that the Lord will work with us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Jonathan looks at all these Philistines around him and these garrisons that are around him. He said, man, this ain't right that they're out there cursing and ranting against our God and against God's armies. And he says, what's up with this? And he looks at his armor bearer and armor bearer is just somebody that carried along the armor of someone that was a military person. And he says, I'll tell you what. Uh, he said, we're going to go over here and do something about that. And you know what happens? His armor bearer said, I'm with you. And he said, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to go up to this little uh, crack in the rock. And he said, we're going to go up on our hands and knees. He said, and if they invite us to come in, then we're going to know that the Lord is with us because he's going to assume that the Philistines would think that they were defectors, if you will. He said, now, if they really stand against us and we'll know the Lord is not with us and they go up on their hands and knees through this little small place, they tell them, ah, oh, some Israelites have come up to us and they invite them in. And these two men slay a whole garrison, 20 men of folk. 
They slay them in verse number 14 and a great battle was won and from them slain two men that were friends and in relationship did all of Israel mustered strength and all of a sudden they begin to defend their God and their nation. Friends, every one of us needs some men that are loyal and Jonathan experienced this consistency and loyalty from his armor bearer. Every one of you and I, we need some folks that will go to war with us when it's time to war. Their time of war, many times we drop our differences. I watched a movie several years ago called the Tuskegee Airmen. And talked about how some black men came through the air or nautical school uh, for the military during World War II. But because they were African-American, they were black. They would not let them serve. Uh, all of a sudden, when the Germans were taking out so many of the U.S. bombers, they needed some more fighter pilots to carry those bombers to their targets and back. And all of a sudden, these Tuskegee Airmen, who are these black pilots, rose up. The movie's been redone. It's called Red Tails now. And uh, the movie was redone, and it talks about these guys. There's a couple of them that live in, our, in my city. Tuskegee Airmen, and they're getting kind of old now, as many of the World War II guys are. But it was interesting, once they prove that they could fight, guys who were prejudiced, guys who were racist, said, we want those guys to take us to Germany and back. And it's kind of fascinating. When you go to war, after a while you forget what color the person is on your right and on your left. You forget what nationality they are. Same things happen to the Native Americans in a, in, a, in, a, uh, in a movie called, I think it's called Windjammers. And they needed a, uh, they needed a, a language uh, that, that, that the Japanese could not decode. And they found a little Navajo dialect that, that they did not know what they were talking about. Listen, when you come to war, you may be marginalized and ostracized. But listen, when it comes to war, folk want to get on the same page with you. And I think if they can do that out there... We ought to be able to do that in here. That we can drop our differences and say there's a common devil. The world don't want you. The devil hates you and wants to kill you. We have a common enemy and we should be able to come together to go to war. And friends, relationships form the networks of life. And I believe that it's critical that we understand that, that we stand together. And when we stand together and stop recognizing so many of our differences, as I heard Pastor John say this morning, man, there's something that happens in a cohesive way as we move together in that. A few years ago, several years ago, in fact, it was over a decade ago, I was invited to go to Dayton, Ohio, and preach at this national convention. They gave me the subject matter to preach on the five-fold ministry. And uh, I went over there. It's just an hour away from my house. And my wife couldn't go, so I said, I'll just drive over and preach over there and come on back. Went over there by myself. Well, preached on a fivefold ministry on apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Taught about how these are servants of, in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're an extension of Jesus Christ's grace to the church. And we are here to serve God's people by equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I told them fundamentally we are servants also called ministers. And we're here to bring the grace of Jesus in five different ways. When I kept talking about service, 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 and being servants to the people, and the way we serve is by doing what Jesus told us to do, these guys got mad. Not only did they got mad, they got angry. 
Because I have found out over the last 36 months, they have been building and teaching on fivefold ministry like a pyramid, a pyramid uh, scheme that's in uh, direct sales. And they have put the apostle on top, then the prophet and evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. And they were building this all up for a big economic boom. And when I came in and preached and talked about we were servants and we should be on the bottom lifting up the people, they got mad. Not only did they got mad when I got finished, they pulled me in a back room and they put a big dude at the door and they said, we want to talk to you about what you preach. And they started dissecting my sermon. And finally, I just took my notes out of my notebook and put it on the table. I said, listen, the words that I quoted came out of Strong's exhaustive concordance. I got the numbers right here in my notes. I said, your argument is not with me. It's with God. Then I said, I'm out of here because they had held me there for an hour. I had preached. I was thirsty. I was wet. I wanted to go home. And this big dude said, they're not finished with you. And I said, listen, I was born in the ghetto. (laughs) I said, I said, I'm out of here. And he stepped aside, you know. (laughs) And I got on my cell phone on my way home and I started talking to my wife. I said, you can't believe what these people did uh, over here. She said, I told you to take somebody with you. I said, nobody could go. And so what I found out is now I take a friend with me when I travel someplace. (laughs) Always take one of the men from my church when I go somewhere. And here's my, here's my, here's my statement. I said, if I'm driving, you sit in the front seat. If I let you drive my vehicle, I'll sit in the front seat. Protect the front seat. Nobody sits in the front seat. We don't need no scandal. I said, the next thing, second rule, follow my lead. I said, if anything jumps off, if I hit them in the eye, you kick them in the balls. Follow my lead. Slap a high five with somebody and say two is better than one. (laughs) Protect the front seat. Follow my lead. That's all you got to (laughs) do. And a friend is born for adversity. And all of us need a friend that if we get in trouble... Somebody will go to war with us. You know what I'm talking about? Somebody will stand together with us. You see, what I've discovered is that friendship between men, friendship provides one of the greatest safeguards in life, friendships. You see, friends tell you the truth and give you wise counsel. Friends tell you the truth and friends give you wise counsel. There's a friend right there. See that? Go ahead. Now look with me in Proverbs chapter uh, 27 and verse 9. Proverbs 27. I'm talking about relationships. Your wife should be your most intimate friend, but she should not be your only friend. Friends are born for adversity. Proverbs 27. And and, and the Christian life is, is born to be a relational journey. A relational journey. And in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse number nine, it says there now ointment and perfume delight the heart. New King James. And it says in the sweetness of a man's friend gives the light by hearty counsel. New Living Translation says of that verse 27, nine of Proverbs, it says the heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. I like this one. It's the English Standard Version. The English Standard Version. It says oil and perfume. 
make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. I believe that every man needs someone in their life that will tell them the truth and give them earnest counsel. Sometimes the truth may be something that we really don't want to hear. But we need somebody to tell us the truth. And when somebody tells us the truth, friends, then I believe all we can do is respond to it. And hearty counsel comes from a friend. A hearty, timely, truthful direction is counsel. And counsel comes sometimes because of our life experience. Sometimes we need to tell somebody stop. Sometimes we need to tell someone wait. Sometimes we need to tell someone downsize. Sometimes we need to tell someone not yet. Sometimes the truth is you need to rethink that. And friends, all of us need that hearty counsel. Now listen to me, even though there is loyalty and there is truth that comes out of true friendship with the fraternity of men, there are also some risk to having a friend, risk. And friend, one of the biggest risks to having a real friend is a risk called betrayal. Betrayal is the worst experience a man can experience from his friend. Over the last few weeks, a movie with Mel Gibson has been replayed called Braveheart. (coughs) One of the things that happens in that scene with Wim Wallace in the liberation and the attempted freedom of his nation was being betrayed by a dear friend. Friends, if any of you've ever watched, I know there's a lot of Italians up in this area, the Godfather sagas. Full of many times, not so much assaults from without, but betrayal from within. And friends, even our Lord had to experience this thing called betrayal. You see in Psalm 41, 9, Psalm 41, 9, it says, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me, Psalm 41, 9. And the psalm, psalmist foretold that there was a day coming that someone would say, even my very own friend, whom I trusted, whom I ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Luke Living Translation says of Psalm 49, 1, it says, even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, has turned against me. You see, one of the things I've discovered about this thing called betrayal is that somebody has to be close to you to betray you. And usually a betrayer is someone who adds uh, that you have given credibility to, given license to, and given space to in our life. And they get so close that they know just how to hurt us. Because betrayal is not really out to kill you. It's out to target your heart, betrayal. Betrayal wants to so damage your heart that you'll never trust anyone again. Betrayal. When a man violates his marriage covenant with his wife, she experiences a thing called betrayal and sometimes she'll never trust a man again. All men are dogs is the figure of speech that's used in urban areas. Sometimes when a man is betrayed by a woman, the same thing would happen. It so hits the heart, whether it's a dating relationship, because some men experience betrayal with women way before they even get married. It's through the dating system of the United States that experiences sometime a betrayal, sometime experience. 
And many times before even a person ever gets married, they had a lot of many divorces. Many divorces as I thought that this one in the junior high school was going to be here for life. Then we divorce, we break up, get together with somebody in high school and we date. And I thought this was going to be for, for life. Then we break up, many divorce. And then all of a sudden we go to college and we date somebody else and we go through a mini divorce. So many times before somebody ever gets married, they've gone through little, many divorces and betrayals. When I thought that somebody had my back, somebody had my trust, somebody had my life. And then all of a sudden they do the opposite and turn me over to the hands of the enemy or turn me in or hurt me. And the whole focus of betrayal is to so damage your heart that you'll never trust anybody again. Jesus experienced betrayal. And Jesus is my model for manhood and my model for leadership because manhood and Christ likeness are synonymous. You know, there's a list of the disciples that are listed uh, three times throughout the Gospels. And then once again in the book of Acts, the 12 are listed. They're always in three groups of four, three groups of four. Count four names and the same person is mentioned all the time. And they speak of the different levels of intimacy the disciples had with Jesus. And in those lists of 12 that are in three groups of four, it's kind of interesting that the last one that's always mentioned is Judas. And then this caption, who also betrayed him, except for in the book of Acts, because now Judas is dead. It's kind of interesting, even Jesus, our model for manhood and our model for leadership, had to experience and go through a thing called betrayal. And yet, he is not ashamed to be called our brother. He went through betrayal and he went through it, but he never stopped loving and trusting in us. Betrayal wants to so damage your heart that you'll never trust again. And Judas betrayed the Lord historically. He is linked with betrayal. In fact, many times, if you don't want to call somebody a traitor or say that they betrayed you, you'll just call them you Judas. And friends, many times that's what happens. And one of the risks of relationships is that they can we can be betrayed. Mark chapter three, verse 19. It mentions that Judas was among the 12 and it says Judas Iscariot which also betrayed him. They went into the house in Mark chapter three, the 12 are listed and Judas is always listed last as the one to betray him. Your betrayal, it only happens to someone that's close to you. It can be a staff member. It could be a family member. It can be a neighbor. It could be someone that we have close, intimate relationship. And many times if you are a man here who has been in relationship with other men and with others and you've experienced betrayal. Sometimes you and I can be in the crowd, but we always stay insulated and isolated because we don't want to experience betrayal again. And sometimes brothers don't get close because I got hurt one time and we make an inner vow and we say, I'm never going to trust another man again. Sometimes it can happen in heterosexual relationship. We get hurt by a woman. I'm never going to trust another woman again. So we get married and we, we, we hide and we have secrets and it's your money and my money, your car, my car. And, and we never really come together as one because we were betrayed. I'm talking to somebody in here and your silence is your amen right now. And yet Jesus 
got up out of the grave of betrayal. Betrayal took him to his interrogations and his trial. The trials brought him to the cross by God's providence. The cross brought him to death. Death brought him to the grave. But on the third day, he rose up out of the grave. And when he came up out of that grave, he came up with all power in his hand. And even the power of betrayal could not hold him down. And if that same life that dwells in Christ Jesus dwells in us. And you're a man here this morning that has experienced betrayal, even from a friend, a business partner, a co-worker, because some of us have experienced that. We got in business with somebody. We thought that they were in it with us only to find out they were embezzling the money, always seditiously undermining, getting something for themselves. I've had companies in our in our city where man was in partnership with somebody else and somebody during a time of sickness, he was incapacitated, went in and redid the books. And by the time he came out, had ownership of everything. I had another man that started a church. He had a massive heart attack after the church had grown up to about 250 folks, had his assistant take over the church while he was in recovery, came back nine months after that. The man that won the hearts of the people when the pastor said, I'm back. Thank you for caring for the sheep. He said, oh no, these are my sheep now and took two thirds of the congregation away. Now the man not only had a heart attack, but now he had a broken heart. And betrayal. It's one of the risks of relationship. So is it easier to go it alone and be isolated and insulated and never have to experience betrayal? Or do we want to be like godly men and say even our model for manhood and relationships and for ministry, Jesus had to go through this path. I declare to you that a friend is born for adversity and we cannot and should not go it alone. And the word declares declares. Not only are there betrayals in our life, betrayers, but they're also real friends. Look at me in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number, verse number 24, Proverbs 18, 24. Rather than running you this morning all over the Bible, we stick very close to Proverbs. Proverbs 18, 24, because I want you to know that there are some real friends out there. Uh-huh. Proverbs 18, 24, you see, it says that there are real friends. It says, listen, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. See, the Bible lets us know that there are friends that stick and stay. And New Living Translation says in Proverbs 18, 24, that there are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. All friendships require a degree of time, space, resource, and even privacy. We give those up in sacrifice for the sake of the relationship of friendship. And there are friends that are real friends, friends that stick closer than a brother. And I know that if it had not been for my friends, man, there would have been times I didn't have transportation. I remember one time I had a car. Man, that was so bad. And finally, it just stopped. And I lived my my job was 30 uh, minutes away from my house. And my friend, he had two cars. One of them was kind of a broken down 
car that, that he just kind of ran around in, uh, and then there was his van, and then he had bought a new Datsun at that particular time. And when he found out that my car had broken down, he brought his brand new car over and said, here, you drive this until your car gets fixed. And I said, man, my car is sick. I mean, that car was sick. It was a 73 Cutlass Supreme. It was pretty when I got it, but it got hit twice. And uh, man, uh, 73 Cutlass Supreme, 350 engine, four barrel engine. Oh, it was nice, man. Now that that's when cars came, man. You just turn that car on, just listen to it run, man. Blah, 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 blah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know it. You know it. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. That's a car, man. And, and by the time it got hit a couple of times, and they had to redo the transmission, man. I mean, my 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 uncle's a, a, a mechanic, man. I took it over his house to fix it, and, and, and I put it up in his driveway. He said, "Get that car out of my driveway." It was leaking red stuff in the front, green stuff in the back, man. He said, "Get that out of my driveway, man. You gonna mess up my house?" It was it had cancer, tuberculosis. It was HIV positive, man. It was on life support. It was somebody say a car was sick. I told my friend, I said, it's going to take a while for us to get the money to get this car back together. Eventually, we just bought another one. And uh, but he gave me his car, man. Friends are born for adversity. You know what I did was when when I had a friend that was in need, man, he got put out of his apartment because he got laid off his job, couldn't pay his rent. And uh, he was behind two payments. And they told him, well, if you pay one, uh, you can stay He paid the one rent. And then they said, you're still out because you still owe a month. So they lied to him to get that month and put him out. Here a guy shows up in my deck. He says, Scales, can you help me out? He said, man, I just got put out of my apartment. He said, everything's in my car. I said, man, listen. I said, I got a rollout couch on the basement. I said, there's a bathroom in my basement. I said, the basement's finished. I said, you can stay here till you get up on your feet, man. That's what friends are born for, man. Friends are born for adversity. See, when a friend calls you at midnight, man, and he says, man, I need you to get up and come get me because I'm stuck in the snow. I've had a car accident. See, that's what friends are born for. And it says that there are friends that stick closer than a brother. I want you to know that life is a relational journey. And because it is a relational journey, friends, we need to have friends. I want to pray this morning uh, for us in our friendship relationships. And I want to give you about five minutes to have some table talk, too. Because I have two questions I want you to discuss at your table. At our men's breakfasts at our church, we do what we call table talk. After I preach and I pray, I always like the men to turn to the people at the table and have some discussion with them. So I got two questions I want you to deal with before Pastor John comes. Let me pray for us. How many of you know that we still need friendships even in the 21st century? Okay, good. Put your hands down. Has any men in here ever experienced a thing called betrayal? Anybody ever experienced that? I got you. Man, doesn't it hurt? Doesn't it try to get to the heart? But can Jesus heal even that? Yes, he can. I want to pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we've come to that place where we know that life is a relational journey and relationships forge the networks of life. And Father, we know that uh, even uh, our wives are our most intimate friends, but that does not deny that we should have other friends. And Father, friends are born for adversity. There are friends that are real friends stick closer than a brother, but the risk of friendship is a thing called betrayal. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name for, first of all, those brothers who have experienced betrayal, that they'll let it go. That this morning that they'll say, I forgive them, even as Jesus did. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, we choose to release the betrayal and all the residue of betrayal out of our hearts. 
whether it came from a woman, whether it came from another brother, whether it came from a business associate, whether it came from a very close friend, we choose to release the pain, the hurt. We own it. We call it betrayal. We call it sabotage. We call it sedition. But we ask that you remove the residue from our life so that we can connect appropriately to our spouse and our other brothers and friends. And Father, just like you brought Jesus out of the grave of death, but also out of the grave of betrayal, so also bring us out of any grave that we might find ourselves in. And Father, now I pray that you might give us real friends. Father, they may not be many, but give us a few. And Father, give us those friends that will stick closer than a brother. Those that will help walk the journey with us. And as we develop those friendships and that loyalty, and as we create space and time and resource, and we can even have those that speak truth to us. Father, that hearty counsel comes from true friends. I pray that we'll be the better for it, and we'll demonstrate to the world what your kingdom should be. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And we thank you for real friends. And there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Give us those kind of friends, Lord. And for this, we give you thanks. For Abraham believed God, it's counted to him as righteousness, and you called him a friend of God. For that, we give you thanksgiving, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, turn around to the men at your table now. Turn around. Turn around, everybody. Turn around. You're going to have some table talk. I'm going to give you five minutes for some table talk. Okay, here's here's the two questions or the two comments you're going to make comment on. Now, I already preached a sermon, so we ain't got time for no sermon, okay? <laughs> Lots of little mini preachers out here, okay? First of all, I want you to talk to the brethren at your table. And some of you have a lot of folk at your table, so you have to make it quick about what's the what's the what's the one quality or the top quality you look for in a friend? What's the top quality? What's that quality you look for in a friend? If you could reduce it down to one word or phrase, What's that quality you look for a friend? And then here's what I'd like you to talk to at your table also. I'd like to talk to you about the greatest issue in your life that hinders friendship. And it may be past, present, or future. It may be an issue. The greatest issue that hinders friendship in your journey right now. And then also what's the top quality you look for in a friend? Just share and then pray with each other. Go ahead. Start now. Go ahead. All right, let me pray. All right, let me pray. Father, we just thank you for our time of sharing around our tables. We pray that we will uh, find quality friendships. Let our wives be our most intimate friends, but we also as men need other friends. Friends that are born for adversity, and there is a friend that sticks closer to it than a brother. For this, we thank you. Give us real friendships. In Jesus' name. And everyone say it. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big praise for what he's done. All right.